Welcome to Episode 7 of the Construction Leaders Podcast. In past episodes, we've talked about the changes and trends in the construction industry. Whether it's changing technologies, organizational changes, or changes within your own career, we all know that change is the only constant. Another aspect of the industry that's changing and shifting are the demographics, including the entrance of more women. But although more women are joining than ever before, they still make up a small portion of the workforce. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, only 10.9% of the construction industry is made up of women. Joining Nick and I today are three of those women to discuss their experiences working in the industry and what we can do going forward to expand the workforce. First, we have Carol Holland, who is Vice President and Business Unit Manager at Dewberry and is a current member of CMAA's Board of Directors. We also have Doreen Bartolis, who is the Water Wastewater CM Lead at Jacobs and is also the immediate past chair for the National Association of Women in Construction. And we have Barbara Reynolds, who is Senior Project Manager at Parsons, a CMAA authorized trainer, and is very active in teaching CMAA courses. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Can you all start us off and just briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? And Carol, maybe we can start with you. Can you tell us about your current role and also how you first got started in the industry? I'm, I'm curious for all of you if you've always wanted to work in construction or if you sort of ended up in your career unexpectedly. Yes. <laughs> I am probably the least likely person to end up in construction. Just a little bit about my background, and then I'll answer your question about what I'm doing now. Uh, I was a very good student, and I really liked math and science, and so I thought I was going to be in a technical area, and I ended up going to the United States Naval Academy, so I am a Navy vet. Um, I served in the Civil Engineer Corps, which is doing construction, project management, design, end-to-end, cradle-to-grave management of facilities for the United States Navy. But I don't think I was thinking that I was destined to be in construction when I started my career. I really wanted to be able to use my degree and use my technical mind. And I've been lucky enough to do that in a lot of different areas all over the world. I'm currently serving as a business unit manager for Dewberry Engineers. And I lead a diverse team of engineers, construction managers, architects, landscape architects, surveyors in uh, Maryland doing work of full range of AEC work all over the Maryland, D.C. area. Great. Doreen, you want to go next? Sure. Um, I'll start with what I'm doing now. I'm a manager of projects, as you said before, um, a CM construction manager lead for water wastewater infrastructure in New York City for Jacobs. I'm also right now immediate past president on NAWIC and still on the national board this year, so finishing up my tenure. I don't know that I was always destined for construction, but I lived with it. My father, my grandfather, my uncle all worked together. The two homes I lived in growing up were built by my father, grandfather, and uncle. So we got to mix cement, lay bricks. I'm one of six kids, but I'm the only one who did go into engineering construction. My father did get his engineering degree while we were kids. He went to school at night. I ended up following a similar path, getting my degree at night. But I love being in construction. I thought I would be an architect like Carol. Thank you for your service, by the way. Like Carol, I was good in math and science, and I sort of didn't think about engineering. I thought about architecture. But as I started to study architecture at school, I felt engineering was a better fit. I wanted to know why things stayed 
up rather than just designing them. So that's how I got into the construction career path. It's a natural fit for me, I think. Okay, Carly, let's see what I can do to answer your question. I was always interested in the built industry. My father was an iron worker and I was always interested in it, but like Carol and Doreen, I was going to go into design. I actually have a degree in interior design, which for those who don't know is not decoration. It is interior architectural design. And I worked my way into the industry and realized that once you finish the design, you can go out into the field and actually see what's been built. And I was hooked. I couldn't get enough of it. There is nothing cooler than building stuff. There just isn't. And I love it so much. So, you know, knowing that it's a BIM model or a CAN design, and then six, eight, 12 months later, walking into it, on it, around it, whatever it is, you know, just lights me up. And I've been into construction management ever since then, because you get to not only work with the design team, but actually be integral in doing that soup to nuts progression through design, procurement, construction, even post-construction, as well as helping your client. Owner's representation is a great big part of being a construction manager and to be trusted by someone that's investing the millions or even billions of dollars in a capital investment like a construction project. To be that trusted advisor is, again, just something that I enjoy so much. You know, I get into so much where you lose track of time. That's why I really enjoy CMAA and doing the teaching, like you said, of some of the construction management courses, because then you get to interact with more people that are just as big a geek as I am about <laughs> the built environment. So uh, that's how I ended up in construction management, and I'm not stopping anytime soon. I love to hear it. But I'm going to dive right into the question that I hear a lot in our universe at the conferences we go to within the focus groups that we've talked about. I know Doreen and, and Carol, you guys were part of a, a focus group that TMA did the past couple of years. But I want to talk about the pipeline and how we get more diverse and how we continue to add more women to this male-dominated industry. Uh, Doreen, as the past chair of NAWIC, give me some insight to your perspective on how we keep this going. Um, keep doing what we're doing. I mean, one of the things NAWIC is out there doing is bringing, uh, you know, we do block kids and we go to the high schools with a CAD, with our NAWIC Education Foundation and bring CAD drafting. So we introduce construction to men and women, young men and young women. So, you know, we show that's a viable career. And with women role models showing up, that helps more young women see that as a career path. The other part of that is the industry making it more welcoming. And you're seeing it now, creating more family leave, calling it family leave instead of you know, just giving a maternity leave. We have a maternity paternity. So anything actually that they're doing now that are good for women and mothers is really good for fathers and it's really good for families. So making things more flexible in construction and whatever we can do with technology to bring those who are differently abled into construction and more welcoming. I think there's a lot of ways, and we talked a lot about this, I think, at that, at that workshop. I see it happening all over, and it's great. The women's organization, CMA, putting a focus on code. Um, I think that's still what it's called. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Things like that. Making associations kind of realize that we have to be more diverse kind of helps our companies see that we need to be more diverse. And helping with that pipeline and training that pipeline is really important. Carrie, you look like you wanted to chime in here. You have some thoughts? 
Absolutely. So I agree with everything that Doreen just said. And I would just say that our workforce diversity is a solution to our workforce challenges. We have a huge amount of work coming down the pike in the next five to 10 years. We also had this crazy pandemic and that pandemic took people out of the workforce, but also made us think about working differently. It also changed the way our built environment needs to operate for us to work, but it also impacted our supply chain in terms of how fast we can get our productivity around construction. And then you add to all of that, the um, demographic changes, the fact that our workforce is aging and a good percentage of them are retiring. So it's like a perfect storm for workforce development. But the thing that we have going for us is the opportunity to attract and retain a more diverse workforce, people that hadn't been in construction before. I think you started the uh, discussion with the statistic that something like 10%, just a little bit less than 11% of our workforce are women. So it's equally underrepresented from the standpoint of uh, minorities. And those are the sources that we can grab to really help us meet the challenges that we're facing. Barbara, any closing thoughts on that topic? Actually, just to summarize, I mean, I couldn't agree more. There has been a longstanding slow speed of adopting new things in the construction industry. A lot of the, we've always done it this way, that's the way it gets done. And I think it is changing. It's certainly changed over the course of my career, but we need to do a lot more. And Carol is absolutely correct. And Doreen's absolutely correct. We're, keep doing what we're doing and bring in those diverse groups because we're at a shortage and we need to do something now to improve it. So hopefully it will keep improving. I did want to add to that, Nick, if I could. One of the things we need to look at as a industry is the hours. I know a lot of that is coded. Some of it's union, some of it's city uh, code, some of it's specs. I think holding so fast to those specific hours can make family care or having a balanced lifestyle or bringing in new people, having that very rigid hours, you know, the 7 to 3.30, you've got to be on site by 6.30 just to be ready. I think that needs to be looked at. I actually was just in D.C. with our Northeast Region Conference, and there was a woman there who spoke on a panel. She was from the uh, Women's Policy Institute, and I had mentioned that to her, and she, I think she wants to sign me up. But that's something to really, that has to be looked at, too, in addition to family leave, sanitation, all that other good stuff. So That's a great point. Yes, if you raise your hand, you will get called on, just saying. Every time. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, building off the discussion around diversity and inclusion, I'm wondering what barriers you all might have faced in your career. And, you know, on a personal note, I, one of my first jobs was working at the front desk at, at an engineering firm. And I have some stories, some battle wounds from that, and I can't be the only one. So Barbara, if you want to start off and let us know what barriers you might have faced and how you overcame them. So yeah, thanks, Carly. I'd love to hear some of those stories sometime. On my journey from design into construction management, I stopped off in general contracting. So I started as an assistant project manager in a general contracting firm. And yeah, I was the paperwork chick, quote unquote. Then they're like, well, if you want more experience, go out in the field. And I went out in the field and we had a build out and I was out in the field with the guys, had on all my PPE. I was loving it. 
And as it always happens, there was a sprinkler pipe leak in the middle of the night. The superintendent was nowhere to be found, so I trotted my butt down to that job site, got the Certipro people in there or whatever they are to clean everything up and dry everything out and tell the landlord what was going on and all those kind of things. Very proud of myself that I got everything done. And then the next week was a big company meeting and the superintendent got a custom-made leather jacket because he had done such a good job. And I got nothing. It was very frustrating and very, you know, stark reminder that regardless of whether it was because I was a woman or not, I was the low man on the totem pole and people are going to take credit for things that you do and things like that. The way that I got around that is, you know, moving on to construction management and a company that was better at promoting from within and promoting people, women, people of color, the whole thing. But it was something that... You can really let it crush you, really let it discourage you. And, you know, you could have just left the industry at that point. You know, why would I sign up for this? That's not the way I'm made. But what it did for me is a teaching moment. Like you said, you learn from it and you know how to avoid it the next time. Make sure credit is given where credit is due and know how to manage people through not only from the top down, but from the bottom up in working together to get something done rather than just saying, oh, thanks, I'm glad you did that. I'm going to go take credit for it. Carol, you want to go next on that one? Sure. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying, Barbara. I've had a lot of those kinds of experiences as well. I'd say in general to sort of put those in one bucket, I've had experiences where people underestimate you and they want to keep you in a certain box, especially, you know, I started in the early 90s. And I think that views and biases have gotten better and views have gotten better since then. They're not perfect, but I mean, you could walk onto a job site and people uh, had very low expectations of your authority and your responsibilities on that job site. And you really had to fight for credibility that a white man or a man would have just walking on the job site. And I know one of the things that helped me there was allies. I remember when I first got to the Pentagon, I was the construction manager for wedges two through five. So this is after the plane hit the building and after the Phoenix project. And I was hired on as the construction manager for wedges two through five. And my boss at the time introduced me and he said, he really knows what she's doing. So don't try to give her any crap. And I think what he was trying to do was lend that he knew what was going to happen if he didn't do that. And he tried to lend his platform and his credibility to me. I still had to earn it, but I thought that was a very helpful thing for him to do. And then in general, I'd say that a big barrier for advancement for women is a lack of sponsorship and lack of mentorship. At the end of the day, as you go from one level to the next level to the next level in your career, it's really helpful to know how to navigate it. You know, Doreen mentioned that she came from an, a construction family. She may have been more savvy than I was when I started my career, but I know I ran into a lot of barriers where I'm like, why aren't you gonna let me do this? Why I see these people doing this, but I'm not getting the opportunity. And the difference in a couple of those cases was just they had relationships that I did not have. So I, mm -hmm. I would throw those examples out. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to that. Uh, that's where Carol and I met long ago was at the Pentagon Renovation Project and very much so back then 
you would have a giant room of people. And if there was a woman in that room, oh, you can take the notes. Why is that the automatic assumption? Again, it's getting better, but it's those kind of things. And Carol is the one that taught me exactly what she just said. It's not just mentoring somebody, but it's sponsoring somebody, speaking up and saying, I am recommending this person. Thanks, Carol. Yeah. And if you want me to, I've had like a long storied career. <laughs> like Carly, there's some stories there. So I started my career back in like late 70s because right out of high school, I was working with contractors. And, and then when I got to the field, which is really where I wanted to be, I used to tell people I want to grow up to be a superintendent, but I don't have the right figure. That's what, so. so I ended up going to school to become an engineer so people wouldn't tell me I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, I made sure I checked all the boxes. I got all my certifications and things just so I felt that they couldn't tell me I didn't belong here. And then there was the straight out misogyny or the same things you guys went through out in the field at the coffee truck, somebody rubbing up against me, you know, things like that, which you really have to love what you're doing. So Carol, you're talking about savvy. I think for me, and I used to tell people because uh, I'm gray now, but I was a, a tall, thin blonde. And I thought with that, I had a little bit better time of it than a woman of color. And I know that for a fact. So even with that, you know, there first I was a woman, so there was that. And then I could see that women of color were struggling more so than I was. So that is changing. We're hope, you know, we're reaching our hands out and lifting each other up. So that's great. I think we're getting the male allies and I you're Carol that hits the nail on the head with finding a mentor and a sponsor to help you along that path. Those are things I did become savvy at doing. I had mostly guy mentors. I never really had any women ahead of me. But now we have more women ahead of us who can kind of help us with that. And uh, we just have to keep doing that outreach and things. So, so yeah, there were barriers. I didn't change jobs a lot, but I had to change jobs in order to get equal pay. Or, you know, I would see I was not being treated fairly. So I would, you know, I would do my best to be treated fairly. I would speak up a lot. And then when I left, they'd be like, why'd you leave? I'm like, I told you I have this list here. <laughs> so I am moving on because the next job I have, I'm going to go, go to management. And that's where I want to go. So that is a great point. Yeah, I definitely want to emphasize what Doreen just said about two things that I've observed. One is that you will see a lot of qualifications on women's resumes. You will see an advanced degree. You will see certifications compared to their counterparts who quite frequently have the bachelor's degree. You will see that overqualification. And then you will also see more job movement, uh, company movement, because I definitely ran into that where I'm saying, why aren't you going to promote me? Here's my resume, all those qualifications. Here's this person's resume you just promoted. None of those qualifications. And they say, oh, well, but you haven't done X. I'm like, well, actually, I did, if you recall. And then I ended up having to leave to get to the next level. So I think, you know, that's an interesting thing. And I guess I would say to women listening, don't be afraid to make that move because that might be what you need to do to go to the next level. 100% agree. Thanks. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the Construction Manager Certification Institute. Today's ANSI-accredited Certified Construction Manager brings professionalism to the project and provides leadership by unifying architects, general contractors, engineers, and facility managers to successfully complete the project. 
the CCM is familiar with the latest techniques and technologies of construction, from prefabrication to building information modeling. He or she thoroughly understands sustainable design and construction, how projects are financed, and how risks can be minimized and effectively shared. The certified construction manager is a communicator, a facilitator, a problem solver, a professional leader. Certified construction managers have the proven knowledge and experience to deliver all these values for every project. Make the CCM part of your strategy for success. For more information on the certified construction manager, please visit cmcertification.org. I want to dive into Carol, something you said a, a few minutes ago, and that was about the mentoring. Uh, it was mentioned a few times and that there's a lack of mentoring, a lack of sponsorship. Let's talk about what other resources have been valuable to you and things that you would recommend others to kind of be looking for. Cause I think a lot of listeners out there are listening to how you were successful on this, but you had a mentor. If they're unable to find somebody who's willing to speak up for them or to mentor them, what other resources would you recommend? Well, there's always CMAA, and I'd say that industry groups like CMAA are essential to being able to identify resources, like-minded people, leaders that are in other, maybe in a different organization than yours, to round out your education, to give you that apprenticeship, to provide you technical resources. So absent an actual mentor or sponsor, I would definitely say lean on your industry organizations. I do want to go ahead and define or give a metaphor for mentorship versus sponsorship. So I think mentorship is like coaching. If you uh, watch football and you like watching football, the coach on a football team, right, is on the sidelines. He generally, he is walking back and forth and he has been giving people advice, the players advice all through the week so that they can perform. But that player is out there performing based on what they have learned from the coach off the field. A sponsor is on the field with you. The sponsor is the linebacker and you're maybe the quarterback behind that sponsor. The sponsor is blocking and tackling. They're literally putting their body or in this case, their reputation and their career on the line for your success. They're lending their reputation, their platform to you. And so you need both kinds. And like Doreen said, they don't have to look like you at all. If they have a skill set that you need and you can form a relationship with them, you can learn from that mentor. A sponsor, though, is useful if they're in your industry, if they're in your organization, so that they can actually open doors for you. So that would be my advice. The, interest, the uh, industry groups that we have, CMAA is a wonderful example, and I certainly have gained a variety of mentors and support from getting certified as a construction manager and working in CMAA. Carol just said it all. <laughs> and I am a member of CMAA, and I am a certified CCM, and so I, I certainly advise you to join associations. I mean, in finding that mentor or that sponsor and setting goals for yourself, you know, those are the resources I use too. That kind of networking and building relationships in those associations. NAWIC was very important to me as far as other women. More other women, well, in very diverse parts of the industry. I mean, tradeswomen, I mean, all kinds of women. I'm understanding what their struggles are, where I can help them. And so I try to do my mentoring, as well as getting mentors for myself there. And sponsors, people who bring me along, the people who said, come on, get on the board, let me show you how this is done. That's more like a sponsor, right? And with CMAA, I have done some teaching. I'll get back to you on that. I want to get back. 
<laughs> on the PCN course. So, um, but yeah, those are very valuable. If you raise your hand, you will get called on it. <laughs> there, there, there we go. Yes, I'm kind of finished with all those other responsibilities I have. But yes, those are definitely important for, uh, those are resources that you should definitely put to work for yourself. Absolutely. The analogies that Carol uses are always playing in my head because that's where it makes sense. That where That's where it clicks and, and you understand the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. But also another topic that I know is near and dear to Carol's heart and all of our hearts is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've been at presentations and, and viewed podcasts and different things about that topic. And someone has added the B to the end. And then apparently there's A and B, but I don't know what the A is. But I know that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So that sponsor makes you feel like you belong. You can come to the dance, but they're going to invite you to dance on the dance floor. So you want to make sure that that's part of what you're doing for someone if you select to be their sponsor or you're selecting them as your sponsor, that that's what they're going to do for you. But to summarize this whole conversation, absolutely have someone as a relationship and using your professional organizations to build those relationships because, like Carol said, on paper, you could be head and shoulders above the person they promote, but that guy knew somebody or that person knew somebody and they had a relationship. So you can't underestimate the fact that, yes, you have all of the qualifications and probably have all of the experience, but if you don't know someone, how are they going to know? You kind of have to have that self-promotion or your sponsor or even your mentor promoting you to get to where you need to go. Barbara, the professional CM course um, was just mentioned. And like I said, you're a frequent instructor. So talking about this mentoring and sort of in the spirit of knowledge sharing and how do you, I guess, pass along all of your lessons learned and experience that you've gained to your students in the PCM course? Yeah, I love teaching the PCM course because I get to, like we keep saying, meet people in the industry that are just as geeked out about construction as I am. It's really cool. But one of the things I was apprehensive about in the beginning of my career is how am I going to learn all this stuff? I don't know any of this stuff. What am I going to do? And you almost get in that deer in the headlights position where you're like, I don't know what to do. So when I switched over to construction management and joined CMAA and then got all my experience and sat for the test, I was like, I actually have a body of knowledge to go to. And I think having that common knowledge of the industry and the associations like NAWIC, like CMAA coming in to give us the latest and greatest information about the industry or the latest and greatest of this is still the same, we need to do something to change it, is a great way to use that body of knowledge and go forward and share how you can apply the body of knowledge to what you're doing. To have that standard, anyone can come up and say, I, I want a job in this and they give you a paycheck every day, but it's gonna be your career. You wanna have that knowledge and you want to strive for a certification or, you know, ongoing and getting better at what you do. I constantly use job examples when I'm teaching the course because that's the way people connect it. That's, you know, it's just the way people learn. They associate things. And when you say that you've been using this tool for cost management and you're doing earned value management schedules, 
you can use the formulas and you can get the formula to work out and do the math. But if you don't have an example of your job site and how you showed your client how you're going through your earned value management and what it's doing for them and why you're charging this or why maybe the general contractor is charging this, you know, maybe they've got materials on site. So the, the earned value is going to be different than the plan value or the actual value. And actually connecting that to what they do every day is of great importance. So that's why I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it and I am going to keep teaching. And Doreen, it was a pleasure. I was actually at the NAWIC conference and uh, teaching uh, the introduction to the principles of construction management. And I think that partnership that we have now is, again, going to attract more people to the industry and really keep the education element of it going so that we're all the best we can be. Speaking of the National Association for Women in Construction, as the media past chair, what messaging would you like to pass along to our listeners from that organization and things that you guys have been working on? Well, let's start with that partnership with CMAA and NAWIC. I think that's bringing more to more women and I'm thrilled about it. And, and I'm so glad Barbara was with us to, to teach that course close to my heart. So thank you. So yes, NAWIC, we are here to support, educate, and mentor and sponsor if we can. We are here to do education. We have a tagline, leading builders, building leaders. That's our tagline. And that's what we do, whether it's through education, through webinars, through conferences, through our partnerships with, say, CMAA, also with NCCER and with NEF, our NAWIC Education Foundation. We um, just got through our first cohort of the NAWIC Leadership Academy, which I was a part of, which is like fabulous. And it also talked about this difference between mentorship and sponsorship as one of their modules. So we offer all that for women to kind of help wherever you're at in your career. Or I, I don't want to say level because, you know, there's tradeswomen. Wherever you are, where you need to build some confidence, where you need to feel, get support, NAWIC is here for that. We're a place where you can build your leadership skills. You can build some muscles around in a safe space and be able to then utilize that elsewhere. Uh, just to jump on there, yes, these associations do that and just occurred to me, you know, there are so many different things you can do in the build environment. You can be a designer, an architect, an engineer. You can be in a general contracting arena where you're actually out in the field doing it. You can be the construction manager, the owner's representative. There are so many different opportunities, but it's like, you know, people aren't quite aware of it. So associations like CMAA and NAWIC are doing a really good job at, I think we mentioned earlier, going even to the grade school level or the high school level and teaching people that there are many different careers that you can go into for the construction arena of the built environment. And we are, just to follow up on that, we do scholarships too, and we do scholarships for apprenticeships as well. Both our associations do that. So that's that's very important too. This is what well, I think we have time for just one more question, um, and I'm going to direct it towards you, Carol. You mentioned a little bit about your background um, in your time in the armed forces. So I'm just curious what lessons you've learned from your experience there. Uh, you know what? I'd say the number one lesson I've learned in my career starting in the Navy is taking care of people. You might think that we are in the technical business or the infrastructure business, but we are in the people business. In order to get a building built or a road designed or constructed on time, under budget, you know, with the highest quality possible, 
you have to work with a diverse team. And here's the thing, Barbara and Doreen have both pointed this out in their examples, but the coolest thing about construction, but the biggest challenge is that there's no two projects that are alike. You cannot say, I'm going to do exactly what I did over here and it's going to work over there because you're going to have different site conditions because there's going to be soil. You know, you can't even site adapt. You, we do that all the time, right? We site adapt a set of drawings for someplace else. But you know what? You can't start constructing. You have to go back and take a look at what's going on uh, with that specific site. And that is a challenge and it's also an opportunity. But the only way that we can do that with these huge teams of designers and builders and construction managers and inspectors and owners and funders and end users is to be in the people business, in relationship with all of those groups, understanding what their priorities are, what their agendas are, what's driving them, what's important to them, and, and what's constraining them. That's the only way that you'll be successful in construction. So understanding how to work with people, how to form relationships, how to listen. I hate to say it. I wanted to be a highly technical person and I am a technical person, but my success really, really depends on my ability to be empathetic and my leadership. So that's my big takeaway. I think that's a mic drop. <laughs> Well, Doreen, Carol, Barbara, it's been so wonderful having you share your knowledge and experiences with us. Thank you for all you do for CMA and the industry and for joining us on the show today. Uh, we look forward to hearing more about your successes in the future. And for more information about the National Association of Women in Construction, visit nawick.org. Coming up on the next Construction Leaders podcast, we will talk with a special guest from ModLogic about off-site construction technology and the differences between prefabrication and modularization. Make sure to download and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at CMAA underscore HQ. And don't forget to leave us a review with your thoughts of today's episode and let us know what you'd like to hear on an upcoming podcast. On behalf of CMAA, I'm Nick Soto with Carly Trout. Thank you for listening.